0: Just give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen is a fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness from the inside out. Happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Each week, Lisa shines her light on well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. As a filmmaker, positive psychology coach, author, professor and change agent specializing in the field of happiness, Lisa Cybers-Kamen is widely recognized as an expert in the field On the show, she also focuses on military families and service personnel returning with PTSD, traumatic brain injury, and other post deployment civilian life reintegration issues. So, let's spend some time getting to the heart of the matter on Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now, here's your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen.
1: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, where we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. If you like what you're listening to, connect with us. Follow me on Twitter at Lisa Kamen and HH Talk Radio, or even tweet at us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Alrighty then, let's get to it. Today we are exploring a subject that is very near and dear to my heart. I am a closet DJ. It's true. Most people don't know this about me, but I host a volunteer radio program on uh radiomalibu.net which is 97.5 kbu and i pull out old world music tunes and i'm fascinated by the power of music to heal by the power of music to touch our lives and make us more mentally fit make us more connected, and so today we are focusing on the theme of music and how it relates to a healthy mind, body, and spirit, and with me today is Derek Beres. He's devoted his life to exposing people to international music, movement, and mythology as a means of creating better individuals and a more informed society. He is a multifaceted journalist, music producer, and yoga instructor, as well as the creator of Mosaic Method and Flow Play, an innovative vinyasa-based class that fuses yoga, music, and neuroscience. It's offered nationally at Equinox Fitness. He's also published seven books, including The Warrior's Path, Living Yoga's Ten Codes, and Global Beat Fusion, The History of the Future of Music. Derek is also one half of Global Music Producers' Earthrise Sound System. He's based in Los Angeles. He's taught all over the place. He's been featured in numerous periodicals from the New York Times, LA Times, People Magazine, um, ABC, Fox, BBC, NPR, and PRI. welcome Derek. Thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Well, it is is a great honor because um, this music thing has been a lifelong passion of mine, and I get to uh, play with you today um, about this very serious business of music on the show, and I'm very grateful. So, Derek, you work with a lot of various types of music. Um, Explain how you find the music, how you became impassioned by music, and how you implement this world be into your work as a yoga teacher, how it affects your life as a, obviously as a music producer, and also the writing, you know, how you create and and, and work through your own flow.
2: Well, uh, when I was at Rutgers back in the 1990s, there was something called the BMG Music Club where you can join and get 11 uh, CDs for a penny for the initial offering. Uh, But what they offered was usually uh, not very mainstream uh, pickings. So I would find myself just randomly choosing albums that I didn't know anything about. And I happened to choose an album by a Pakistani Qawwali vocalist named Nusrat Fati Ali Khan. Uh, and he did two records with a Canadian guitarist and producer named Michael Brook. And that really, uh, as generic as it sounds, that did change my life and sort of set it on its course. Because I all of a sudden I heard this very old um, Pakistani music form that was initially used just for weddings and funerals. And Nusrat was the man who helped to popularize it around the world. And, uh, that sort of set me off. Um, when I got to New York, I got very consumed with the Indian electronic scene and became friends with a lot of the producers there. And I ended up getting a job as an editor at a world music magazine. Uh, and the thing about world music or international music in America is that it's a very small niche community and the people who do it, do it for the passion and love of music. So when you get involved with all the labels and the, and the players, you sort of stay in touch. Uh, so much of my music, um, comes from just being in touch with the labels even to this day and, um, knowing everyone and and with social media, when you're connected to all the people who are passionate about it, it becomes a lot easier to find uh, the music. Now, specifically to the question of movement, um, I started uh, my movement experience with dance and martial arts before I began practicing yoga. And it's this weird thing that happens sometimes with yoga, whereas the music is sometimes inconsequential, so that teachers just play whatever they want or think will work, but they never really think about why music works. And with dance, that's, that's that's really the driving factor. It's, I mean, half of a dance experience is the music unless you're doing some avant-garde uh, dance in silence, which is also beautiful, but not to the point. And so when I began teaching yoga about 12 years ago, the music was the first... I mean, I've, for 12 years, I've done a new playlist every single week, and I've created a new flow every single week because to me, it's about just constantly evolving and changing the experience. And international music is is I mean it's such a broad term first of all Americans sometimes tend to like to think that um, you know we're the center of everything but there's so much music in the world and so that, that term doesn't even do it justice but there are so many beautiful beautiful music forms uh, all across the planet and to be able to share and experience that with people as they're moving and breathing and sweating together is, is really what inspired me to become an instructor and that keeps me going uh, all these years later.
1: And also the beauty of music, it is it is such a magnificent form of storytelling and, and, and connecting, connecting generations, connecting history. Um, and I, I'm wondering if that plays into it for you as you create your playlists every week.
2: Well, First off, you also asked me about the writing. I mean, and writing is obviously storytelling, and you can do the same thing through movement and through music. I mean, that's really what, what we all love is taking a journey and being transported somewhere. Uh, you're entering what your brain is called your, your default mode or your daydreaming mode at that time, and you can really be whisked upon this, this incredible experience of memory and emotion uh, through music and movement. And when I began Uh, teaching yoga, I used um, Joseph Campbell's four stages of the mythological um, timeline or the the mythology, which is uh, setting off or the initiation uh, um, phase, the journey, the return home, and then integration. And so every one of my classes, all those years have been taught with that in mind, those four phases, and the music follows a similar trajectory. So that there's this experience of entering, there's the journey that you take together, and then you have to come back at some time, and then the integration, which is meditation or shavasana and yoga, gives you a chance to like sit with what just happened for a few minutes before you go about your day. Um, and this can, this can all be done both with our bodies and with music, and when the two work in sync so that you're telling one story through music and movement at the same time, it's a really powerful experience that you can have.
1: You have said that music and movement together create brain magic. What does that mean?
2: Well, if you look back, and a lot of this is—it's um, slightly speculative, but it's also taking whatever available tools we have with uh, with us in terms of neuroscience today. Um, some researchers believe that uh, thought is movement imagined, or that the process of thinking happened first through physical movement that then became part of what our brain does. Because if you think about what our brain does, is it creates thoughts nonstop. Um, some research has shown that we have up to 2,000 daydreams every day, each lasting up to 14 seconds. So focus is not actually what our brain does. That's the function of another uh, region called the central executive network. But daydreaming and letting our brains wander is very much what our brain does. Um, Now there's also some speculation that music is the original form of communication. So that before we talk together, we would slap our thighs and clap our hands and grunt together and express ourselves musically. And... So with both of these, with the movement of our thoughts and the movement of our bodies, and, and if you know anything about how our brains function, exercise, specifically on a daily uh, level, is one of the best things you can do for, for a whole host of, of brain health, of different um, from staving off diseases of dementia and Alzheimer's to just better heart functioning and better better circulatory system functioning and better breathing and all of those things. It comes from constantly moving and always changing the ways that you move. And so when you have these two things together, when you have something that really is a form of communication that kind of supersedes language and then you have movement, um, it's, it's the cocktail for the best brain chemistry that we can, we can experience as human beings.
1: We are going to go to a break, and we are going to sample the music of Earthrise Sound System. To learn more about Derek Barris, please visit DerekBarris.com. On Facebook, the page is Derek-Barris, and on Twitter, it's Derek Barris. Here come the tunes, and we will be right back.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Earthrise Sound System. Sweet color, Duke mushroom on the hook And C.C. C. White, the queen of soul care time We're getting together, why don't you get together with us? Cause the time is now Yeah, now is <laughs> the
1: time yeah. Don't nobody really wanna fight Can't we see
3: each
0: other in a different light? Let's stretch it out like Dharma Mitra. No beat can come between us because our love has a special feature. New paradigm and you know I'm so excited. A planetary party and you know you're all invited. Feels so good. You decided not to fight it. Now let it in like the sunshine shining. Let
3: Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress Cayman has made her first ebook. Got happiness now? Eight keys to unlocking a joyful life. Available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Love is in the air, in the whisper of trees.
1: Love is the end, and the of the sea. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are having a special show today because we are focusing on the passion and power of music to heal, to heal not only the brains but our bodies, to open a portal for better uh, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual well-being. And I'm speaking with Derek Barris, and he is really quite the Renaissance man. He is an author. He is a yoga instructor. He is a music producer. He uh, really is on the cutting edge of what music and neuroscience do for our brains and our health. Derek, let's talk about what happens to us when we use this music in our practice, in, in, in yoga or any practice for that matter, because the, the music can be tailored for the, the, the sport.
2: Yes. Uh, well, first off, there's nothing that we know of that affects as many uh, neural regions at once as music. So when uh, one of the great things about fMRI technology and, and different ways of scanning the brain is it's non-invasive. So we can hook up these uh, electrodes to our skin and see what's going on in, inside of us because of the, uh, the electrical firings of the neurons. And music um, just takes place. It actually takes place in our brain. And you, you hear music through your ears, but you also hear it through your skin. So music is really a complete surround sense experience. It affects, it, it affects everything. Um, and that was one of the, the issues that I had was being a yoga instructor and taking a lot of uh, practicing as much as I was teaching and uh, hearing all the music that would be, play, be being played in the classes. I would notice that sometimes the instruction and the music were telling my brain different things. So we'd be in the middle of a flow class and they would be playing sitar music with no percussion. And that actually turns out that the sound of the sitar lowers levels of cortisol in your blood. And so, which... Cortisol. If we have too much of it, is is dangerous. But we need a little bit of it to, to get moving and motivated. In it, it also helps in tissue repair after we work out. So, um, you're you're telling the brain to do one thing, but you're telling the body to do another. And that's I, partly, I think, that's because we have this idea of dualism that the brain and body are separate. But if you study the brain, it, it's it's integrated. You you can't have consciousness without a body. So everything that you do affects the brain, affects the body, and vice versa. And that is really where the key to understanding music's therapeutic effects happen. Um, you know, in terms of therapy, music has, is being used to help to treat a whole host of uh, diseases such as dementia, as Alzheimer's, also as Parkinson's disease. The researchers are having, uh, you know, finding really powerful um, effects through something called entrainment and that entrainment is what happens when you hear a beat so if you hear a beat and you can't stop tapping your foot that's because your brain is literally sinking to that beat Uh, and that's one of the issues with parkinson's is that they that can't happen and so you see these videos of people who have parkinson's who can't control the movement of their limbs but you put on a song with a beat and suddenly they can dance flawlessly and then as soon as the music stops they can't any they can't move anymore in the same way and, you know, if you can think about what that does for these very uh, powerful neurological disorders, then just in our daily life, there's so much room for exploration in terms of, in terms of what it can do. And, and really, in, in our time when the music industry is, is um, collapsing in terms of people finding uh, financial well-being from it, probably one of the most successful areas uh, that people are making money and finding social progress in is... Music therapy right now,
1: mm. and music therapy is used in for several different kinds of clientele. I mean, from PTSD to children to children who have uh, learning challenges, and maybe you could talk a little bit about the uses of music therapy in, in healing in these particular realms.
2: Well. Our, our brain, you know, we have, we get what's called these patterns, these neurological patterns that we get caught in. And basically, briefly, how memory works is a short term memory becomes a long term memory in where our hippocampus, uh, or an area of our brain called the hippocampus. And once we have a memory, if it makes it to long term memory, when we recall it, it then becomes short-term memory. And then it goes back to the hippocampus and becomes long-term memory. So that's why, that's why when we feel stuck in our life, when something happens and we feel as though we're never going to change, the world isn't, nothing is going to change. That's not, that's not a function or a feature of the world. That's a function of how our brains are operating. And that was discovered through something called neuroplasticity, that we can change the way that our brains fire, but it takes a lot of work. And part of that work can be done through music, it can help to change the neurological patterning of things uh, through, uh, you know, there's, there's so many different ways, and what I was speaking about a moment ago, Parkinson's and entrainment is one specific realm that deals specifically with dopamine release, but in general, what's the thing that we're all going for is to not be stressed out, uh, stress and, and an overabundance of cortisol and adrenaline and, and those chemicals can just wreak havoc in, in, our, in our bodies. I mean, PTSD is just an example of a really you know, traumatic sense of stress that we've experienced in our body. And music can, by helping to calm us, what it can do is first in, evoke memory and pleasant memory, hopefully, so that we change our associations to... What we're experiencing, I mean, that's really one of the things that it's, they're finding um, success in teaching with both yoga and music with PTSD uh, is that by reassociating certain scenarios in your life with something pleasurable and something instead of something traumatic, you will start to change the way that your brain relates to these experiences. Uh, I am not as up on the uh, therapy for for children except for perhaps autism. Um, where, you know, one of, the, one of the markers of autism is, is an inability to uh, display empathy. And one of the great things about music is that the sounds mimic different emotional states. And so with autism research and specifically, um, they've found that children have been able to, sh- to show the emotion of the empathy more with certain types of music that bring out that and again, whatever whatever neurological issues are happening, um, it's able to sort of uh, to work around the chemistry uh, that is that is going on. I mean, that's how they've also stroke um, people who've who've suffered uh, damages from stroke. Uh, again, can can help uh, music can help them to work around the damaged brain areas and to help them to live a functioning functioning and stable life afterwards.
1: What I hear you saying is that by reducing stress in the brain and in the body and improving um, uh, the, the firing of the brain in, or the, or the re, rewiring of the brain so it fires in a more effective way, We are experiencing not only better emotional health, but we are then able to access our brain power to help us with the physical part, that everything starts to work better, that there's this synergistic flow that happens within the body.
2: Uh, yes. I mean, first off, with, you, you mentioned the word flow a couple times, and flow is, is a psychological state. Um, it was coined by Mihaly Mihai, a Hungarian psychologist in the 80s. And basically, I mean, if you can think about what the runner's high is, that feeling that, you know, you're running, you're tired, you're tired, and then you hit this plateau where you, can, you feel like you can stay there forever. What he found is the more that you try to cultivate these experiences of flow, the more success that you have. So if you have something... That brings you into a state of flow. I mean, for me, it's music and movement, but my original state was reading. I can get into flow very quickly when I'm reading because I'm transported by the stories. Um, and the only thing, in, in what you repeated was, I think, perfect, except for I, I, the word access. I mean, we're, we're always able to, I mean, what our reality is defined by our neurological patterning. We, ex- we have experiences, and we solidify those experiences, and the more we, you know, this phrase in neuroscience is fire together, wire together. So the more that we fire those neurons together, the more they wire, the more that we think that reality is this way. That's where I believe religious fundamentalism comes from. It's just an over-firing of these specific ideas. But... Um, so to me, it's not so much a, a question of access because we all can access, unless you have a disorder, we can all access the way that our brain works fully. Um, but it, the hard part about this is understanding the change aspect. If there is something in your life you want to change, if there's a, if there's a patterning that you don't want to experience anymore, you have to put in the work. Because um, whatever we call our identity and the way that our brain constructs, Our personality and who we think we are the chemistry is more powerful than that so it takes a lot of work to be able to perceive reality in different ways Um, both you know in terms of these disorders we've been talking about but also in terms of just everyone who might be neurologically healthy but they want to change something about themselves you know when you start to change your perception it's going to be uncomfortable for a while Um, but these tools That I've found in my own life and through people that I've worked with of music and movement can help to create that lasting change that you're looking for. But you have to do the work, it's not going to just happen.
1: And you know, it's funny you mentioned Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey because, specifically within that model, it is required that we are, when we are on that journey of discovery, that we will. We'll, we will be slaying dragons. We will be meeting monsters. We will be seeing aspects of ourselves that challenge us to stretch and move beyond that place in order to grow. That there has to be some form of the death of the old self in order to be reborn into the new self. Uh-huh. Which I mean, I'm 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 grinning from ear to ear ear when you when you talk about Joseph Campbell and, and the hero's journey because it is. It is a very effective model or map for people to understand what they are undergoing when they decide or they're thrust into um, an opportunity for change and transformation.
2: You know, humans are generally reactive creatures instead of proactive creatures. And you see it all the time when there's another uh, mass gun shooting, for example. You'll, you'll see all of the the, the the trauma and then all the response and people wanting to help and people wanting to change the gun laws but the laws never get changed and because that would be thinking proactively the the response is always like well it happened he was you know he, he had a neuro, he had an issue uh, psychologically so it doesn't matter if the law would have been changed or not. And that's a, very, that's a very human way of thinking of it, instead of being proactive. To be proactive means you can't see the change right away, and you can't necessarily know where the journey is leading you. I mean, with, with Campbell specifically, one of the things about – I was brought into um, that whole world through the, through the King Arthur and the Knight's Tales, and mm-hmm. the knights always entered in the darkest part of the forest, and they didn't know – where the journey was leading they just went and they went wherever another night hadn't gone yet specifically because they wanted to create an experience that no one had ever had before that was the whole impetus behind that that particular mythology and the way that glory was found by being completely open to the possibilities of what was going to happen um and i think you know as much as 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 much opportunities we have in our time to 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 experience the world in a way that no one has ever, and no or none of our ancestors ever had access to, the ability to travel around the world very quickly and experience all these cultures, we still very much get stuck in our in our patterns and perceive in a very limited manner. Um, so mythologically, to me, and what Campbell's work really shows is that by By being open and by being proactive and going out and seeking these experiences and being open to change but also putting in the work, we can really change our lives in a very profound manner.
1: Derek Barris, thank you for your generosity of spirit by being here with me today. To learn more, please visit DerekBarris.com. On Facebook, it's derek Hyphen. Barris and then on Twitter that handle is Derek Barris. We're going to go to our break with more music by Earthrise Sound System. Here come those tunes and we'll be right back.
0: Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress Cayman has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now
3: Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com.
1: Saturday Afternoons on 97.5 Joy Riding the Coast with a global vibe Pleasing your ears and inspiring your mind Joy Riding the Coast with me, Lisa Cypress Kamen Saturdays 2 to 5 on 97.5 K-B-U, and RadioMalibu.net.
2: Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio? Subscribe to us on iTunes and get your weekly dose of joy downloaded free and easily to your computer or portable device. That's Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes.
3: (laughs)
1: Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you are just joining us now, we are talking about the power of music in medicine. With me now is Dr. Joanne Lowy. She is the director of the Louis Armstrong Center for Music and Medicine and an associate professor at ICANN School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. The Louis Armstrong Center, among many populations, is serving musicians and their unique ailments, including chronic fatigue, chemical dependency, performance anxiety, and overuse. It also serves children with developmental delays, teens with emotional issues, adults with neurological issues, and all ages of patients with asthma and COPD. Dr. Lowy oversees the Department of Music Therapy, which she started at Beth Israel in 1994, Dr. Lowy has conducted research in sedation, assessment, pain, asthma, and NICU music therapy. Her areas of specialty are assessment, hermeneutic, and I hope I pronounced that right, research, trauma, and supervision. Dr. Lowy is the editor-in-chief of the international peer Review journal Music and Medicine and serves on several editorial boards, including the Cochrane Palliative Care Review and the Journal for Complementary and Alternative Medicine. Dr. Loewy received her doctorate from NYU. Welcome, Dr. Loewy. Thanks for joining us. Sure. Happy to be here. Let's define music therapy from a clinical perspective. And what are the various types?
3: Well, from a clinical perspective, the idea is that music has been used since the beginning of time to effect change uh, from Pythagoras. Pythagoras actually had um, music classified not only as an art, but as a mathematical science. And in the foundation, the human development of women and men, music has been found in modern day to be able to induce physical and emotional change in the body. And it's been used, music therapy, in many domains. It's been used in aging to enhance speech, to work with aphasia. It's been used in hospitals uh, to work with trauma, and in addition to trauma to treat patients from birth through end of life, who have various ailments. And this is really profound because what we're learning is actually that the body is a system of sounds that integrate. The first sound we hear, for instance, in the womb is mother's heartbeat, and we entrain and acclimate to rhythm almost before we're beings, before we come out in our lives. So using the principles of music from Pythagoras' time into the modern-day rap and sociology of how music penetrates teenagers for how it's used in modern days to warm up sports events. We sing national anthems before we have serious events. We hear drum beats before we go to war. Music penetrates in so many ways that forms the mind and integrates the body.
1: And depending upon the kind of music, as you just said, we know that it affects us differently. But for example, do we know, do we understand what happens to our brain and the brain chemistry when when it's listening or in the presence of a certain kind of music?
3: We're learning more and more about it through research. I have the good fortune to edit a journal called Music and Medicine, along with Dr. Ralph Schwink from Germany, and much of the literature now, many of the submissions we receive and other journals of music therapy receive relate to music's impact on the brain. And whereas we used to think that music was processed on one side of the brain, we're now learning through MRIs and other kinds of brain scan testing that music can light up to so many different areas. Uh, the motor cortex is affected by rhythm. The amygdala, which handles our emotions, can be intricately moved by music, and that can, in effect, trigger other parts of the brain, like the hippocampus. That's the spot that has uh, a memory for music. That's where we contextualize music experiences. And, of course, the visual cortex, while reading music, looking at people's reaction and movement, mirror neurons, we know can, in influence the cerebellum, which is when we start tapping our foot, um, when we feel like moving, or this is also involved in like playing an instrument. So from the auditory cortex, which is really the, the first spot, the first stage where we it provides a mechanism for how we listen to sounds, the perception, the analysis of tones, it, it's all Weave together. And that's why I think the word integration is so important with music. Not just integrating a symphony, but integrating parts of the brain. And then the brain influencing and informing so many parts of the body because the brain is the holder of the emotion.
1: In terms of integrated medicine and encompassing music therapy in in a hospital setting where where you are working for example you do some tremendous work with music therapy to treat all kinds of of ailments can you talk a little bit about the different aspects um, of treatment let's say for parkinson's alzheimer' post stroke or cancer victims cancer patients
3: sure. I mean we have a music center the Louis Armstrong Center. For music and medicine, Um, our medical director, Dr. Stefan Quintzel, and I see normal neurotic adults. We see musicians. Uh, We see children and teenagers with developmental delays and emotional issues. Um, So not as to say it's all in the hospital work. We also treat children in the New York City public schools in our asthma initiative program. But there is a unique breed of patient that comes into the hospital. Uh, and that those areas that we focused on are really still called disease. I like that word in American language. It's disease. Yes. And it may be that someone comes in overnight to have an operation like uh, appendix or kidney stones, even those kinds of patients often experience severe pain. And for the moment, their life is halted. So whereas most other people go in and are mechanics of the body, if you will, uh, what music therapists have the opportunity to do in addition to working with mechanisms of the body, like respiratory rate, heart rate, um, brain function. We do this through sound and through music. And so in doing that, we're also able to treat the emotional part of the illness, the emotional part of the pain. And how is this disease affecting your life world? So we'll start with the healthy elements of the patient and learn about their culture and their life world outside of the hospital. These are the strengths and the anchors that they come in with. And once we begin to work in that domain, in playing music with someone, at the same time, you learn a lot about the physical. And then you can bridge together the physical, the mental, the emotional, and start to treat some of the symptoms and aspects of the disease. So our specialty populations where we have pretty succinct protocols, which is not to say we do the same thing every time, but more that we have a a mechanism of how to work with specific populations. in the neonatal intensive care unit, um, in the spine surgeries, um, looking at disease of pain, some of which I mentioned, and in the cancer and respiratory realms. So for those kinds of diseases, we have ways that we work.
1: I just want to jump in here and ask... for. uh, you to just share a little bit of uh, one very powerful example that I'm aware of um, that makes the effects of music therapy very, very visible. In the case of a, a, a Parkinson's patient who has a, a tremor, and through the use or implementation of music therapy, what can happen to that tremor?
3: Well, if you think about a tremor, it's, it's really a rhythm. Uh, it's a rhythm gone awry, much like a hallucination. It's a very basic way to explain it, but it's a voice that someone's hearing. We all have a conscience, and we all hear messages in in our own way. When we read, for instance, our brain is making sounds of the words, um, and we're processing. We We have feedback from the activity of reading. And so with a movement such as a tremor, um, making that movement purposeful and knowing from <coughs> test the part of the brain that, that lights up the motor cortex, um, the cerebellum influence on, on movement When we provide a basic beat and we can use that basic beat and entrain it to the tremor, the movement then becomes more purposeful and the patient may feel more in control. And when we have self-esteem and we have self-control working with these aspects of music, working with uh, neurologic function, we see a lot more productivity. We can increase, Michael Taft's work um, with neurologic music therapy showing that we can actually increase, first organize, helping the person feel organized, and then increase little by little the walking speed and assist the gait. Uh, this is part of the beautiful mechanism inherent in music function.
1: Mm. Uh, it, it, this is, it, for me, an incredible discovery on my part and one that I am going to share with my father who does have Parkinson's. We are going to go to a break. And when we return, we are going to carry on the conversation with Dr. Joanne Lowy. To learn more, please visit www.musicandmedicine.org. And on Facebook, you can find Dr. Lowy and her team at Armstrong Music and Medicine. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back.
0: like Lisa's take on happiness, well-being, and human flourishing? Join us this spring as Harvesting Happiness launches online classroom programming where Lisa Cypress-Kamen will offer her workshop series across the globe and from the comfort of wherever you are. Visit HarvestingHappiness.com for more details. Be a part of the grateful good, Being grateful inspires others to be grateful as well. Isn't it time we jumpstart some perpetual gratitude? Visit Grateful Nation online to find out more at www.gratefulnation.org. Have a grateful day. I feel good I knew that I wouldn't I feel good
1: I knew that I wouldn't. So good. So Welcome good. back to Harvesting Happiness to Talk Radio. Hear. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about the power of music and medicine or applying music in the medical field. And we're speaking with Dr. Joanne Lowy. She is the director of the Louis Armstrong Center for. Music and Medicine in New York City. She is also an associate professor at the Icahn School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. Dr. Lowy, prior to the break, we were talking about the powerful effects of music therapy in treatment with Parkinson's patients. Can you um, just tell us a little bit more about what happens to their rhythm as they get into the rhythm?
3: Right. So the general goal is we're trying to help them control and have the disability of movement reduced and improve the way they function, the quality of life. So with Parkinson's, music therapy can help with the stimulus to help them obtain motor coordination, and it can also affect the emotional response and put together the movement with the stimulation of rhythm which affects emotion, um, So singing favorite songs in conjunction with music and rhythm can really have a profound effect on these kinds of patients.
1: Um, in terms of music therapy and pain reduction, are patients who... are exposed to music therapy is there oftentimes or can there be a reduction in the amount of pain medication that is required to help ease and soothe the pain
3: yeah there's been some studies that music can actually um combat pain signals before they even get to the brain like right at the level of the spinal cord so if Music can reach, particularly if assessed by a music therapist and if that music that has emotion from someone's outside world, if it can reach the patient in the moment of pain, the electrochemical signals traveling from where the pain starts can go straight into the brain. And actually, we leave it. There's been some research that suggests that music and pain travel along the same neural pathways. And also that people's favorite music can trigger the release of dopamine, which is a brain chemical. And Robert Satori at McGill has done a lot of that kind of study on emotion in music. Um, in music therapy, working in the hospital for 21 years, I've been able to use a lot of live music techniques, particularly drumming for release. Like uh, in some cultures, they use music and rhythm, particularly for body walking and um, for body piercing and fire walking, which has no anesthesia, just drumming. So looking at the release aspect and then looking at the breathing and the imagery Using like a romantic piece of music um, in training with the breath. Um, Not using music as a distraction, but using it as an integration. So we're not manipulating the person away from pain. We're actually integrating the
1: pain and changing it in the moment of music. Wow. That to me, this is. Very, very exciting. And, and I like what you said about integrating and, and transforming the pain and not taking the, the patient away from it, which leads me to my next thoughts about how music therapy is used in depression, anxiety, and addiction, where there is a lot of emotional pain. It's you know invisible pain, but very much the same pain.
3: Right. Well, pain is the one definition in Tabor's Medical Dictionary that includes a patient's response too. So whatever is physically um, hurting also has a mental ramification. And you can have the opposite too. There are specific diseases where The physical is caused by the emotional. Um, And then, of course, we have suicide attempts, eating disorders. Um, We work a lot at our clinic with people who are depressed and, unfortunately, musicians who work in the genre of ups and downs and travels and are working a lot with the emotion of just music all day. I think it makes them particularly susceptible to depression. But America, on the whole, we're in a um, sort of drug, drug world where we take a pill and we're not sad. And what we do at the Louis Armstrong Center for Music and Medicine is we actually work with the actual depression within a music context. So it... When you play music with someone, you can actually be in the moment of their sadness, in the moment of their trauma. So we are not afraid to go there. And through looking at patients' life world and their history, um, through music, we're able to elicit um, feelings of hope uh mechanisms of resilience and then really get into the analytic aspects of what perpetuates the cycle of depression and how can music not combat it necessarily, but how can music in the first stage serve to represent it so that the patient feels heard and then work in duets and sometimes in trios and groups with significant aspects of that person's life world that causes the downward spiral.
1: And what would that look like therapeutically if somebody were to come in for a music, a typical music therapy session, let's say for depression management, what would the interaction be between the client or patient and and therapist?
3: Well the first stage is always an assessment and we use the tour-of-the-room assessment whereby the patient hears all the instruments, and we as music therapists hear their associations with the sounds. That will give us inferences into how sound is part of their um, mechanism of feeling down. Once we've discriminated what sounds and songs are important to them, and learn more about their life world, then we can create goals. The assessment also has moments where we hear them play alone, and we compare that with what it's like to play with them. What is our countertransference? How is their music expressed? Uh, and we have areas we work with and assess, like motivation, listening, expressivity, um The way they speak when someone's depressed, often they speak on one note, like I am right now, kind of low and in a fixed rhythm. And that's a musical expression that we can work with in a song to make a lot more melodious. So sometimes it's outer first. Um, But that's just an assessment. The favorite song is critical to that assessment because the favorite song is often a roadmap into the ideals, wishes, lives, dreams, fantasies,
1: family history of that person. And we We probably should mention that the kinds of music that we like as individuals can be revelatory of our personalities.
3: Absolutely, it is the favorite song always carries an aspect of importance in a person's life if it's their wedding song it's a high school graduation song even if it's a song they hate that reminds them of their family that's just beautiful fertile ground for music therapy <laughs>
1: We are almost out of time but I wanted to talk about the impact of music in public environments. For example, I'm thinking when one goes down to the subway, which is is a stress hub and you hear musicians playing and it's a good example of the impact that music can have on a large group of people in a in a in a very uh, time stamped environment. You know, they're there only for a few minutes waiting for the train and boom, off they go.
3: Right. So we have something called environmental music therapy, where we use music in waiting rooms. We use music in the intensive care units, And that's not so unlike, probably a little less stressed in the subway. But we hear music all the time, the air conditioner, you know, sound, the lights affect our well-being or not. So music therapists are trained to work with that sound um, carefully and weave together environmental noise to reduce, in in our intensive care units, reduce noise, um, but also to infiltrate staff's favorite music with patients' and caregivers' favorite music. So it's all about all of these elements.
1: One last quick question, because we are almost out of time. You have worked in the NICU, which is uh, with premature babies. And what is the impact of music therapy on these little ones?
3: Well, I've written an article on a study we did in 11 hospitals with 272 infants, and that's available in the journal Pediatrics, which is free online. Um, but the skinny is that it reduced the stress in parents and that these three interventions that we've developed um, had effects on vital signs, which are heart rate, respiratory rate, and O2 sat in infants. There's also a video that the New York Times did That actually shows the work with parents, with one of our music therapists. Because parents are a lot of the formula. The babies go home with the parents.
1: Yes, I understand. Dr. Joanne Lowy, thank you very much for being with us today. To learn more, please visit www.musicandmedicine.org. And on Facebook, the page is Armstrong Music and Medicine. Here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. Happiness simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen, and my lyrical guest today, Dr. Joanne Lowy and Derek Barris, wishing you kind thoughts kinder words and the kindest of actions until next time remember happiness is an inside job happiness is your inside job and a quick shout out of thanks to our producers who make us shine each and every week we appreciate you go out and make it a great day
0: thanks for joining us on harvesting happiness talk radio with lisa cypress cayman Join us every Wednesday morning live at 10 to 11 Central Time here on TogiNet Radio. Then harvest your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with free downloadable podcasts available at iTunes. To learn more about Lisa's filmography, felicitation, and philanthropy, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Each week, Harvesting Happiness presents engaging trendsetters, exploring our world through science, art, medicine, media, music, philosophy, politics, and the human heart whose perspectives on life are sure to inspire, provoke, and engage. Lisa's diverse guests are a proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Like Lisa says, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following us on Twitter at hashtag HarvestingHappiness. Then join us again next week at this same time on the Toginet Radio Network.